This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Okay, we're ending off a series called God's Burden Bearers. And um, tonight we're going to talk about, take two passages of scripture. We're going to just focus on that. That, but let me just make that statement again. We will never change the world by going to church. We will only change the world by being the church. We will not, we don't go to an event to find God there. God is with us. And so in Matthew 11, this is our theme scripture, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we looked at a lot of characters over these past couple of weeks. Uh, Amos, Nehemiah, Joshua, Daniel, the disciples, Peter. And tonight we're going to end off with some statements the Apostle Paul made. But um, Jesus uses this sort of picture of an ox pulling together with another ox. It's a yoke. And he says, come and yoke with me. He says, bring the burdens of the world, bring the burdens of the fears, the anxieties, the heaviness, and I want to exchange it. I have another burden, and my burden is easy, my yoke is light, he says. Um, But a lot of people today, they want to give their burdens to Jesus, but they don't want to take God's burden on them. And so that burden talks about the will of God, yoking together with Jesus, not doing stuff for him, but doing stuff with him. And he says, that's really what rest is. If you want to find rest for your soul, it means you have to discover what is God's will for your life and what is God's will for our lives together. And so that task, that service. And so a lot of people, even Christians today, they're miserable because they think like, yeah, yeah, you know, this is great. But they live in a consumeristic Christianity, meaning I'm going to come to church for what God can give me. Um, And so if God is not good for me, then I don't like him, I don't serve him anymore. And so especially in churches like ours, more charismatic type of churches, unfortunately, sometimes the church looks just like the world. And so I want to encourage you, if you may be visiting here, but there's a church that does not preach the fear of God and the holiness of God, you may get deceived. Because God talks a lot more about holiness than about his love in scripture. Did you know that? His motivation is love, but in character, God is a holy God. And therefore, he wants holy people. And so the church cannot look like the world. We have to be different. We have to separate. And that's what holiness means, is to separate ourselves to God. And so let me pray and then we're going to go for it. Father, thank you for the entrance of your word that brings light. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. Thank you, Lord, that we do not need to walk in darkness tonight because you have given your eternal word and it's inspired. Lord, it's inspired by your Holy Spirit for reproof, rebuke, exhortation, inspiration. Lord, it's there to make us complete in Christ. And tonight as we thank you for your word, as we yield to it, Lord, let our hearts be good ground. And we say, Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of truth, the spirit of life, the spirit of grace. Thank you, Lord, for that freedom we have tonight to sit under your word. There are so many Christians all across this world, Lord, that are suffering dearly, Lord, just intensely for just being able to have a Bible in their lives. And Lord, sometimes... Our Bibles just get more dust, Lord. 
and it's just another book. But change our hearts tonight, Lord, to know you and the resurrection life of Jesus. Show us your heart, your face, your life, so that we can tell the whole world Jesus is alive. We just want to bless you, Lord, that you are here and that you are changing lives. You don't need a preacher. You just need your word. And your Holy Spirit will breathe on it. You don't need nice songs. But come and change us forever tonight so that we can be instruments of your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Romans 1. This is the Apostle Paul. Now remember, Saul became Paul. This was one of the guys that killed a lot of people, a lot of Christians in the name of God. So um, I remember going to India, the northern parts of India, and meeting up with a pastor. It was northwest in India. There's there's a group of a tribe called the Nagas, the Nagas, okay? And the Nagas are all little short people. That's why I like to go to India, because I'm one of the tallest people there, I mean? I'm not talking about the natural, I'm talking about the spiritual. Okay, so don't, why are you laughing? Ulrich, I heard you laugh. But so in any case, so, so the Nyagas were headhunters. And um, they would actually have these trophies of killing people, cutting off their head, putting it on a pole and say, hey, we conquered that tribe. And so a couple of years ago, a couple of missionaries went there and the whole tribe came to salvation. And I remember it was 2012, we went to, uh, across the mountains into northwest parts of India and we met this pastor that killed more than 200 people. Um, he was one of the main headhunters of that tribe. And then the Lord called him probably 15 years later after he got saved, called him to go back to that place where he killed all those people. And he started a Christian school, started to preach the gospel. He's a pastor there today. And when we met up with that pastor, I realized like, wow, It's only God that can change somebody's life like that. It's only God that can bring a testimony of that life, that can transform a life. Somebody that is just like, whoa, you know, so miserable, so intense, so, yeah, just out of it completely. Thank you, Jason. It's it's not a free advert for water. Okay, I'm just glad the water is there. But so... The amazing thing is, it's only God that can change somebody's life. So what happened is, this pastor even got mocked, but he's the most gentle person ever. Now, uh, it went through my head, I thought like, if I would kill 200 people, there's no way I would go back to that tribe. I would be so ashamed, just looking those people in their eyes, just, you know, living amongst them for years, and then preaching of this Jesus that can save. <laughs> Imagine... Going back to that place, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, and yet that guy was so soft in his heart and he would just, whenever he would speak about Jesus, would start to cry about what Jesus has done in his life. Now there are many examples like that and Paul was one of them. And so Paul writes in Romans, he actually writes, one of his desires was to go to Rome, but he he didn't go and so he uh, probably wrote this when he was at Corinth. So he writes to a church that is busy growing, but he's in Rome with this massive empire, and the church is really a minority. The whole world is sort of like 
over this church and there's a lot of pressure but the church is beginning to grow and now in his heart was this desire to go to Rome many times when you read Colossians or other chapters you would see this desire of Paul says I must go to Rome I must I must get to Rome uh, if I can just preach in Rome and so he starts with this sort of giving an introduction to a group of people that he's never met most of the other uh, books that he's written uh, and letters that he's written you would always see like he would start with greeting people, ending with greeting, very personal greeting, because for many years, sometimes up to three or four years, he would stay at a place. Now, Paul was based in Antioch, and from there, he had these three massive missionary journeys, and many times he would plant churches, sometimes within a span of about nine months, he would raise up a church, um, he would preach the gospel, people get saved, raise up pastors, and then leave the place. You know, nine months, imagine that. <laughs> you get saved nine months ago, and we say, okay, you're the next pastor. But it, it happens in the world still today. Did you know that? Hello. You know, I, I met a group of people in a very persecuted country, um, a bit north of South Korea. And so, <laughs> you'll probably hear. But they do church planting really, really different. They would go in, and then they, they would be there for two weeks. They would pray and fast and say, okay, Lord, show us the man of peace of the city. And then the Lord will give them a word. In two weeks' time, there's a telephone booth. Get there. Give this guy. Now, most of you don't know what a telephone booth is, but it's like this booth, this little box with, it used to have a telephone in, okay? Telephone booth. And they would say, go there. You'll find a man. His name is this. Give him all the material. Those times it was CDs. Do you all know what a CD is? Most young people don't know what a CD is anymore. It's like a round little thing, okay, that you put in like, and it opens up and, Okay. Give him all this stuff, a whole bag full of stuff, and within two years, come back to that same spot. And then as it was, after two weeks, fast, pray, go to the place, there will be the man, they lead him to Christ, and two years later they get there and he's got 6,000 people in his church. It still happens today. Amen. So Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Whoa. One sentence, lots of ideas. Okay. So Paul introduces himself. He says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. He says, I've been called, say called. To be an apostle and separated, say separated. There's a lot of Christians that don't know they've been called. Everyone has been called. He actually writes it a bit later, but he says, everyone has been called. And he says, I'm an apostle. I've been called to do something with God. And that's why we're all so different. But all of us have got a calling. We've got an identity in Christ. And you don't do anything for God that can add to your identity. You need to find out who am I in Christ. But there's a calling on your life, and that's this part of yoking with Christ. And so Paul starts and says, I'm a bond servant. I'm a servant of God. I'm here to serve him. I'm here to make his name great. I'm not here for him to serve me, but he's Jesus Christ. And he says, I've been separated to the gospel of God. There's a message God has given me. That's the message, the life story of Jesus. And which he promised before, he says, it's, it's all come to pass, and he's the Lord. Now, this is one of the themes or the words that Paul uses a lot is the word Lord, which means curious, master, the owner. I am not my own possession anymore. The modern day gospel says, no, you belong to yourself. You're so unique. You're so fantastic. And that's not really scriptural. 
It says, we belong to God. Jesus bought you with a price. And once you say yes to him, whoa, you don't have options. You actually don't have choices anymore. Because if you, the moment when you say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, you're in trouble. <laughs> because you can't, you can't, then he says, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> so be careful to say Lord. It's, it's, a, it's a right to say Savior because that means, hey, I'm going to be saved and we go to heaven. But the moment when you say Lord, you give him the right over your life. You're not in charge anymore. And so he goes on, he says, verse 5, through him, we have received grace and apostleship. So he says, I've been called to this. And so this new church, I'm introducing myself to you. I want to tell you who I am. And he says, I've received something to be able to be this. And he says, I've received grace and an apostleship, an authority, a position, he says. And so if you want to do God's will for your life, you cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You need grace. And grace is an enablement to do his will. There's a lot of people talking about grace today, and it's just grace to do sin. People say, no, no, you know, I, I can just go on with my life. I'm really in charge of my life, and there's grace for me. No, no, no. Grace is to do God's will. It's that petrol in the petrol tank to do his will. I mean? So that's what grace is. Is that like, whoa, God gives me an ability to do what he's called me for, and it's going to be different for each one of us. Your grace is going to be different than my grace. Maybe somebody else's grace is different because we're all unique and different and yet there's grace for you to do what God has called you. So he says, I've received it. I didn't earn it. I didn't go for it. I, don't, I didn't try to change the world. And then Jesus says, oh, wonderful. Now you're this perfect Christian. So great stuff. Most people God called in scripture were the fishermen who had no teeth, were the people that ran away, you know, the, Jesus called the foolish things and the foolish ones of this world. Any foolish people here? Sure, some of the married people just looked at that. Oh, that against you. I knew it all the time. You know? But so in any case, so focus, focus people. He says, for obedience to the faith among all the nations, among whom you are also the called of Jesus. He says, you are also the called of Jesus Christ. Now he goes on in verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God. Now he doesn't know the people, just listen to the heart of Paul as he's writing to this church because he's been waiting of their faith. He's been hearing their faith. He's been crying out to them. He says, so I want to come to you. I want to I connect with you because there's a spiritual connection. He says, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God. Say, I'm a beloved of God. Called to be saints, say, called to be a saint. To be a holy one, to be separate, to be different. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you. I've received grace and I want to impart it to you. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request, if by some means, now at last I might find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So he says, I'm, I, want, I have this desire as Paul to come to you, this church. I want to I impart something to you, something God has done in my life. I've heard of your great faith. But not just am I coming to give to you, I, I want to be encouraged with you. Because when I come to you, it's not me, the mighty Paul, kiss my ring, you know, kiss my ring. This is the apostle's ring, you know. <clears throat> and um, 
you know, and my jet is behind the, 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 the hall here, you know, or my helicopter, you know. So I'm like this, and my five bodyguards in front of me, you know. That's utter rubbish. You know, it's rubbish we're seeing in the church many times. That people become so high and mighty, you know, with all the titles and all that stuff. And listen to what Paul says. He says, when I come to you, I know I've got a gift. I know that I'm working with God. I'm an apostle. So I'm not going to make excuses for that. God has called me. I was this massive murderer. And we're going to see a bit later how he writes about this stuff, you know, what he thinks about that stuff. But he says, I'm not going to stand back to what God has called me to do. But when I come to you, I'm going to come with such humility because I want to be encouraged with you because I, I know I can learn something from you. I've heard of your faith and, and this is such a beautiful picture of how we should be when we come into fellowship and when we come together to be encouraged, not to be in competition, but to say I can learn something from you. I can, I can be with you. I want to be encouraged together because of that mutual faith, both of you and me. Now it goes on in verse 30. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. He says, because of this place I've come from, I, I've got a debt. And now I, I want to, yes, I have this grace, I have this freedom to yoke with God, but, but I owe it to the people around me. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And then this famous saying, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he's writing and he's first establishing his authority. But then he comes to this. He says, I, wa I want to talk to you about this boldness I have. I want to talk to you about this identity I have. I'm a son of God, yes. But then I have an authority. And now I'm beginning. I want to talk to you from this place of authority, he says. And I want to talk to you about the gospel, the message of Jesus. He says, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. Now he's writing it to a church that is oh, this overpowered or just surrounded by this massive empire that it just puts a lot of stuff on it and a lot of challenges. Some of you, when you walk into class tomorrow morning, there's just like, whoa, you know? Or you walk in there in Paul Ruiz or somewhere where you go in and you realize like, whoa, the, the Christians isn't the majority anymore. There's a lot of people that say they're Christian. In their heart, they want to be Christian, but in their head, they're not Christian at all. Sure. Because we've seen a decline in the last 30 years of really believing believers. We get a lot of unbelieving believers. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And beware of them. They were the ones that crucified Jesus. Unbelieving believers. No, no, we just, we just believe a part of the gospel, you know. We just believe whatever is applicable to us or what is comfortable to us. But we're not going to make anybody feel uncomfortable. And the moment when you do that, you become ashamed of the gospel. And shame is something very deep. And it's embedded in our society. You know, when I'm guilty, it means I've done something wrong. When I'm ashamed, it means the message is, I am wrong. So, we 
do not grow up in an honoring, celebrating culture. So a lot of what maybe have been ministered to you when you were young is like, hey, perform, be the best. When you first, I'm going to give you a reward. But that's a shame-based culture. Because then your identity and the reward is determined on your performance and not who you are as a person. And so a lot of people struggle with shame and that's why embedded in our culture is fear. The fear of rejection, the fear of failure. You know, I spoke to um, Uncle Mugeng Mugeng who's coming to, to the campus here. I just love being, be, being bold, people being bold like that. I don't know if you saw the clip when he just opened the parliament at the beginning of the year and he went, he says, we're going to have a minute of silence. And then he went down on his knees and he just prayed in tongues, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, bring it on. A Christian that is bold to say there's one God, one Jesus, okay? Don't miss the 23rd of August, yeah? He's good friends with Angus and we just have spoken a couple of times. That Umugeng is wild for Jesus. I just love people being in a place like that and say, hey, there's only one Lord. Amen? But see, a lot of people switch off their relationship with God when they get into the workplace, when they get... I'm not saying take a Bible and bash everyone with the Bible, you know, and say, turn or burn, you know. That's not what we're saying. But there's a boldness. There's a group of people that is beginning to stand up and say, I'm not ashamed. Because he set me free. Now, you cannot say that if God has not set you free. If you're not true to your identity in Christ, if your identity is always determined by other people and what other people say and their opinion of you, stop listening to the opinion of other people. Because one day they're going to put you up there. Tomorrow, you, they're not going to know who you are anymore. I have a good friend, his name is Kobus Fasaghi. How many of you know who Kobus Fasaghi is? Raise your hand. Kobus Fasaghi. He was here in Paul Ruiz. He played for the Springboks. How many of you know who Kobus Fasaghi is? One or two people. Three people over the age of 25. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm 24. <laughs> I just heard, you know. It's an older brother. The crazy thing is, when he was on his peak, everybody knew who he was. That same person. Twelve years later. He played in two World Cups. Nobody knows who he is. So why are you going for the opinion of people when only the opinion of God matters in your life? What has he got to say about your life? And so this is so powerful what Paul is saying. He's writing to this church. He's never met them. And you would sort of say, like, Paul, just go down a little bit, you know. Tone down, tone down, tone down, you know. <clears throat> Let's do a bit, bit tolerant, you know. Just take a nice angle, you know. The other day I heard of this church that plays like worldly music in their, in their foyer because they want to make it more acceptable to the people to come into church. And I'm thinking like, what? You're going to have a crowd. But wait till the persecution comes. You know, I got a letter from friends of mine in China. And they've all been imprisoned in the last week. You know what they say? Four pastors that we've been to, they say, what a glorious moment to suffer for Jesus. I'm thinking like, wow. How much of the church will be left if tomorrow you'll be locked up for three years? Huh? 
sure. So there's grace for us in the West. Maybe three to five years, I think. And if we don't wake up, if we don't wake up, awake church, the world is going to sweep over the church. And Jesus said it like this. He says, if the salt loses its flavor, it is thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The world will trample on the church when the church loses its stance and its flavor. Salt will make you thirsty. Salt preserved. Salt is not water, but salt makes you very thirsty. Does your life make people around you thirsty for Jesus? Salt. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I've discovered it is the power, the dunamus of God unto salvation. (laughs) It's not a little shovel. It's not a little, you know. We have this like thing in our backyard. You know, we, we're, trying, we, we're trying to sort stuff out there and there's, this, this, there's a pipe, but we can't find the pipe now. now so, so we had a couple of people, now they're digging in, the, in our backyard. You know, you can always see Baz, he stays there and, and, and Max and some of these guys, you know. And so the other day I came back and then the, I, I just saw somebody's head there because the, the hole is getting deeper, you know. So, so I make jokes. I say, yeah, yeah, we're going to China. We're evangelizing in China, you know. Because we can't find this thing, but now we're going deeper and deeper and deeper, you know. So half of the tree is gone. We don't know what's going on, you know. And now we have like a swimming pool next to the swimming pool. It's called a mud pool, you know. And it's just going wild there at the back, you know. But we can't find this pipe, you know. So now it's this like discover this thing. And when we get there, we're going to... Be excited and, and invite you for a bribe. But so, because <clears throat> all we wanted to build is this little bribe pit, this little round thing there, and now it's become an excavation place, you know. So if you drive past Yonkazook and you see this big mine heap, it's ours. <laughs> don't tell anybody, don't tell the municipality. Okay, so, but so, we're trying to find that thing, you know. And, and, and so it's amazing when you, once you're on that thing, you want to you get there. Now, this is what Paul says. He says, you know, when... When you, when you discover the gospel, it's not a little shovel that you're trying to like move some stuff around and say, oh no, let me. He says, it's dunamus. It's like, pow, you know. Now, I used to let, no, don't tell anyone, I'm, I'm confessing all my sin. When I was in primary school, we, I had this friend and his dad had like a quarry. Do you know what a quarry is? That's where they, they put the bomb in and, and the dynamite in the mountain and they shoot the mountain open and then, then, um, then they sort of get all the rocks and they make roads and stuff and buildings with it. So, so we used to go up and then we knew his dad is going to shoot the dynamite. But um, the rule is you're not allowed like two kilometers close to this place where he's going to shoot. And this explosion is going to be. But then we'll sneak up and then we'll build this thing and we'll sit there. But we won't tell his dad and please don't tell his dad. I, I think his dad is not alive anymore. But in any case, don't tell the dad. Okay? So, but so, so we're sitting there. And then you wait for this moment. It's a whole process. And then this dynamite comes. And it's like, you can make it yourself. <laughs> I don't know how to make that sound. But so in any case, but then you sit there. Everything begins to shake. And then you wait. You hear the sound. And the next moment, you just see these rocks. You know? Like in the movie. It's better than the movies. You know? And it's just like, and you think like, 
whoa, and then you go like, yeah, and then you go like, this is better than WWF, you know, you suck yourself up, you know. And then you, you would be half dead, your ears would be zinging for two, two weeks, but you tell nobody, you know, because you've been close to the action, you know. Now that's what Paul refers to, the dynamite of God. It's not a little shovel, he says, that's the gospel. When you preach that gospel and that Jesus walks into somebody's life and transforms that life, it's like, and you know what God has to hold back on the church? Because if you play with dynamite and you don't know the rules of engagement, it will destroy you. But God wants to. He wants to. So listen to Paul as Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. In chapter 3, and it's, it's actually, I wish we had time to just take a couple of hours on this scripture, and we're going to pray now. And there's somebody here tonight, there's actually two people. In the worship, you had these words. You thought, like, the Jesus that I'm serving and the Jesus that they're worshiping is not the same Jesus. And you had a bit of a, a sort of a moment there where you thought, like, either these people are very weird, or... I'm worshiping the wrong Jesus. And there's two people like that here tonight. If you're ready, I want you not to wait for me to finish the sermon. I want you to stand up and I want you to come to the front. Because you're going to meet the real Jesus tonight. And he's going to set you free. It's going to take a lot of boldness. But when you're ready, come. Right here to the front. Two people. You had these thoughts like, is this real? Is this weird? I've never experienced the Jesus like they're worshiping tonight. It's a Jesus of power. It's a Jesus that demands all things. He's Lord. It's not just a Sunday Jesus. So when you're ready, I want you to come. Listen to Paul as he's writing about this journey. And you must actually go and read chapter 1 and 2 because it's this amazing, amazing book. And especially chapter 2. He talks about the humility of Christ. And he says, when the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but, but through his humility he came to serve us, lay down his life. And then because of that, because of the way, you know, that he laid down his reputation, that's not Jesus. God has given him the name above every other name. And by that name, one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of the Father. Everyone shall say, Jesus is Lord. Willingly or unwillingly. And then we catch up here with chapter 3 from the third verse. For he says, we are the circumcision. Now he's beginning to talk about his CV. Who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. He's talking about his own CV now. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm also. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He was the top notch, number one, golden key of Jerusalem University, you know, shook the rector's hand every week, stood on the photos, a Hebrew of the Hebrew, the best stock. 
Biomit. Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal. Oh, I was passionate, he said. I persecuted the church. I killed the church. I was there. The scripture says he was there when Stephen was stoned. He stood there, young man. When that seed that would eventually become the birthing thing of the church in the New Testament was one guy who got martyred. And that's why the scripture says that the martyrs will get a very specific reward in heaven. Those who lay down their life for Christ, who shed their life for Christ. It's a very, very special place for people who lay down their life and their life will become a seed. Some people before you lay down their lives so that you can have the gospel. Some of you have got grandmas and grandpas and dads and moms that have served God faithfully. and They've been praying for you. Go and thank them. Go and bless them. But he says, these things in my life, the things which were gained to me, all these things, I've counted loss. I've, I've, I've counted the cost. I've looked at them and I said, he says, yet indeed, I also count, verse 8, all things lost. For the excellent of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. He's been doing a lot of counting. <laughs> he probably was an accountant. That's a flow joke, but in any case, that's a flu joke, okay? <laughs> he says, I count them as rubbish. That word for rubbish is cow done. It's like poo. Don't think of any other words. Okay, stop right there, okay? Stop there, okay? I count them as rubbish, as nothing. That I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now if you link that to what we read in, in in the book of Romans, now the book of Romans is probably the best doctrinal book because Paul wanted to state the gospel clearly. So if you want to know what God talks about salvation, righteousness, justification, identification, glorification, propitiation, all the fancy words, all the Asians and all the nations, read the book of Romans, okay? But Paul had this concept of the righteousness of God. What does that mean to stand in a right relationship before God? And he says, I've counted everything lost for this one thing, for the righteousness in God, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. And listen to this as he prays, then, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Lots of people want to know the power of God, but they don't want to enter into the fellowship of his suffering. <laughs> he says that both of those two come together so that I can be conformed to his death. Verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. Or I'm already perfected, but I press on. He says, whoa, every day I've made a decision to count all things lost, to stand in the righteousness, to know him, to stand in that right relationship before God based on what he's done, to yoke with him, to be in that position. And you'll read a lot of his, his books where he had to fight for that position because there were many other gospels that would come in. And he says, my gospel, the gospel that was betrothed to me, he would fight for the gospel, but he would also fight for his apostolic position because he was so secure in who he was. In the natural, he was this great guy for the Jews, 
But in his heart, oh, killed so many people, so many Christians. So it goes on. That I'm to lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. God, God wants to lay hold of you. He says, I want to grab onto God as he's grabbed onto me, as he's laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have, to have apprehended, but one thing I do. He says, one thing I do, I want to give you a key, he says. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting the shame. Forgetting the fear of rejection. Forgetting the fear of failure. Forgetting those words that your father or your mother may have spoken over you. He says, you will amount to nothing. Or that teacher in your class. And a lot of people, they're living in the shadow of shame. They're living in the shadow of what other people are saying. And that's why they're always, they're always conforming to this world. They're always drinking themselves over a kapabal. I don't know what you say that in English, but over a muck, over a mic, over a whatever, you know. People are wasted every week and girls are running up and down saying, oh, you know, just sleep with me and, you know, I'm going to feel better. But there's an empty hole inside. Why? It's called the righteousness of God. And so he comes in and he says, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. He says, I press toward the goal for the price, prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the calling of God on my life. He says, I, I press towards, it's like this, 40 people in front of you, and you're pressing through them. You, it's been Jason here. I don't think he's here. They played against the Pumas. Ben Jason, come here. Okay. I want the 10 strongest guys. Come, Carl. Vice Carl. All the big guys here. Okay. We're going to have a scrum in church, okay? Come, just choose a couple of big guys, okay? Bruno, come, come Luke, come Luke, you big guy. Okay, come, okay. Okay, George, all the, all the big guys. Yeah, Christo, come, come. Okay, okay, there you go, there you go. Come, Jason, George, come, Daniel, all the big guys. Oh, Ben, Ben. Okay, all the big guys, all the tall guys. Where's Quibus? Is Quibus VC? Oh, no, he's not here. Then we would have had a party, eh? Yo, okay. Where's some more big guys? No, I want 10 big guys. Come. Bungie, where's Bungie? Bungie, where's all the dark bread guys? They're all the, where's the most humble ones around? Okay. Where's you are? You are. Come here. I saw him at the back. Come. You are? You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, George. You're big. You're big, okay. Where's Ainu? And I'm always picking on Ainu. Is Matthew here? Matthew. Just some big guys. All the gymmers, okay? We, but does that count as... Big? No, no, I'm not going to say it. Okay. Okay. I want you to form like a group there. Ben Jason is going to press through you. Okay. You need to resist him. Now you, all of you. All of you. Okay. Okay, guys. No, no. They make a group. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, now, I, I have to warn you, I, I have to warn you, this normally has the potential to fail miserably. All the things we do in church, because there's one thing involved here, it's called the male ego, okay? And that normally does not work, okay, but, but, but we're going to do, okay, now gentle, gentle, Ben Jason, gentle, gentle, okay, gentle, okay? You need to resist him gently. Gently. Say, say my second name is gentle. 
Yeah, yeah, okay, wonderful. Okay, I'm, just, I'm just calming them, my ego. Okay. So, so this is the picture. He says, I'm, I have to forget all the things behind, and I, I, need to, I need to press through. But to press through is not an easy goal. It's not just something I'm going to do, because there's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of people that has opinion over me. And, and he says, but I'm not pressing through because I want this big scrum. I want to press through because there's something on the other side. It's the call of God on my life. I'm, full, I'm, I'm, I'm rejecting those lies. I'm rejecting that shame. I'm saying no to that stuff because I know the reward. Okay, 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 here we go. Okay, no, 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 stardach. Okay, slowly. Okay, can you read on his shirt? Brotherhood. Okay, brotherhood. Be your brother's keeper, not the killer of your brother, okay? Okay, we don't want... Is there any medics? No, 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 I'm only joking. Okay, okay, no, okay, no, just... Huh? Yeah, yeah, just go, go, go. Okay, resist him. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, let him, let him go through now. This is the exercises that he must go through, okay? Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, go. I knew it's going to fail. Okay. Okay, let him go through. Okay, you must let him go through. Whoa! <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I knew it was going to fail, but you know what I'm trying to say, okay? <laughs> Next time we'll get the ladies, but some of them were Khuna. Those free state girls, okay? Sure. Okay, let's focus, 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 okay. When I read that scripture again, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And many of these examples, Hebrews 12 talks about it. I, I run the race looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised, hung naked on the cross to break your shame. Was the most shameful moment that the Son of God could ever have drawn attention to himself. Hanging naked, being mocked, being spat upon. The word excruciating pain comes from out of the cross. He did not just die for your forgiveness, but he died so that all shame can be broken over your life. But there's a generation that is beginning to say, Lord, what does this righteousness mean? What does it mean to be righteous, to be right with God? What does the cross really mean? And I want to not just play little Christian, Christianese, I'm pressing towards the goal. And I'm not doing it to perform or to get righteousness. I am righteous in Christ. And so tonight there's an invitation for you to break that stuff from the past. But also to begin to say, Lord, I want to I begin to live a life worthy of your name. I want to live a life that when I come at the end of the life... <laughs> It's just going to be me and you. 
And you're going to say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and faithful performer. Well done, good and faithful preacher. Well done, good and faithful accountant. Well done, good and faithful usher. You didn't do things for God, but you've entered into the rest of God by yoking with Him. And you've discovered the power of the gospel. That every time you speak it, it brings life to the one who hears. Every time you step into that place, doesn't matter how dark it is, light has come. The kingdom has come because the kingdom is inside of you. Every time you go there, you don't say, oh Lord, please be with me. Because you know God is with you, you're working with Him. And there's a confidence that come out of that. And Paul had that confidence. And yet he says, I've counted all these things as loss for the excellence of one thing, and that's to know him, to yada him, to be intimate with him, to worship him, to be before him, and to have a relationship with him. And out of that will flow a power of his resurrection. Out of that will flow a, a yieldedness and a nation that will begin to stand up. And you know, our nation is in fear. I don't know if you open the newspapers. I don't open the newspapers anymore. When you go on News 24, you go on stuff, it's just killings and murders. And when people start to talk, this, our, our nation is just blown apart by fear. And God is waiting for the church to stand boldly before him. To say, there's a God that lives. There's a lot of people in the valley of decision. There's a lot of people here tonight that must make a decision. And it's God's invitation. Come to me. Come to me. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.